And I would ask you to join together with me in a word of prayer. And gracious Heavenly Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, where believers throughout this world are, are, are taking in again that wonderful thought and message of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded in this day to ourselves that you no longer need to visit and then revisit and then revisit us but that, Lord, you are here to stay and that you dwell within. And, Lord, we confess to you that we are the ones that are in that position of needing to visit and revisit and revisit and open our hearts to you, Lord, once again. You are so steady and you are so caring. And, Lord, you are the one who holds us in a powerful hand. And and through life, Lord, you are the one who empowers us and by your Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that with that at heart and in mind, Lord, you would, you would teach us once again of who you are and, and, and the place you have in our lives so that we might trust you. And in trusting you, Lord, might serve you. And in serving you, Lord, might be able to glorify your name. This we pray in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, last week... Uh, I began a, a new series of studies and invited you to join with me in the book of Exodus. And, and here for the next few months, uh, learn a few lessons along with the children of Israel, lessons that they actually learn by wandering through the desert. And each of the lessons, life lessons, are the type that actually can take up to 40 years to learn as they went to school for 40 years in the desert. That's about the time that God kept them in the desert, standing in that period which I called in betwixt and between, that that place of uncertainty, uh, not knowing quite what is going to happen, and life seems to be in suspense. Now, you may remember that I identified the desert really as the place where God tends to teach his most enduring lessons. And I couldn't help but notice uh, that when I, I said that, a number of people in the congregation actually began to nod their heads. Yes, the desert is a valuable school for my life. You may be familiar with your own desert-like conditions, uh, and even more, have an earnest desire to find some sense of purpose where God would actually meet you in that place, and, and then in meeting you would shape an inner character and carve you into what I would call uh, that, that, that greatness of soul. More often than not, God chooses to make his classroom the desert. It is where we we, we learn the value of humility, the essence of dependence, and the quality of faith. All, all, All things we should value because those are the things that really do matter most in life itself. It's no wonder we read words like those we find in the first chapter of the book of James, that we are to count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, and and perseverance must finish its work so that it may find you mature and complete and lacking in nothing. I mean, it's interesting that, that the Hebrew word for desert really comes from a verb which at the root means to speak. <laughs> we often think of, of the desert as a silent wasteland, but the fact is it is there that in the silence 
a voice can be heard. And it is there where God raises his voice and actively seeks to communicate truths that eventually and ultimately change our lives. To be honest, when you do find those truths, you find really that they are really not that complicated. In fact, God's truth tends to be fairly straightforward and simple. Let me, let me be honest, some of the most important lessons in our life usually are quite simple and straightforward. In 1989, Robert Fulgham wrote a best-selling book entitled, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. <laughs> he began the book by saying, for many years I have set myself to the task of writing a personal statement of belief, a credo, and then I realized that I already know most of what's necessary to live a meaningful life. I've known it for a long, long time. Living it, well, now that's another matter. And that is what I've got to learn. All I really needed to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned actually in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but it was there to be found in the sand pile of Sunday school. (laughs) And I might add that in the desert of a familiar story that we find in Exodus, we find something that is available for all God's people, for you and me as well. Listen to how simple the lessons that that, that Fulgham lists in his book on kindergarten. I'll share just a few of the things that he has. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play play fair. Don't hit people. (laughs) Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat good one. Flush, even better. Warm milk and co- uh, warm cookies and cold milk are in fact good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. Oh, I like that one. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. <laughs> well, I've got to confess, as I've, I've been study, as I've been studying through the book of Exodus, the lessons that, that, that are taught God's people are just as simple and straight, as straightforward. But as Fulgham did say, knowing them is one thing, living them, however, is something else. So the lesson from, from last week that we learned came from the fact that God clearly and visibly conveyed Uh, his presence by taking his stand before his people in a pillar of cloud and of fire. It's as if going through life, he decided to take our hand, stay together. The psalm describes that lesson that we learned last week this way. He said he encircled them, he cared for them, he guarded them as the apple of his eye. We read that in Psalm 17. And you do learn quickly that when you're in the desert, it is best to stay close to the cloud. It is, it, it is not only for, you, for your protection, it is your hope for protection and for comfort and for direction. Sustaining a sense of commitment over time, however, is a lesson that demands daily attention, even if it takes 40 years. But the lesson is plain. There is a God who is there and a God who cares and who knows you by name. 
That was the lesson of, of, of Exodus 13 that, that, that was learned at the doorway of the desert. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn again with me to Exodus, where we then turn to chapter 15 and chapter 16. Because there we learn a, an associated but a second lesson that comes from God, and that is the God who is there is the God you can trust. This one lesson actually takes three classes to be taught. Three episodes, if you, if you want to call them that, that begin in chapter 15 at verse 22, and then go all the way through chapter 16. Each of the episodes actually stand on, a, on their own, but together they all underline one key truth. The God who is there is the God you can trust. The God who is there is the God you have to trust. And the God who is there is the God you must trust each and every day of your life. So look at the first episode with me. It's in Exodus chapter 15. begins at verse 22. It's obvious that when the people left Egypt, it, it, it wouldn't take long for some basic human needs to kick in especially the basic human need for food and for water. We read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, that they had, they had gone into the, for, to the desert for three days before their water supply ran out. It took three days to empty their canteens before they finally came to a spring, which was called Mara, which, as we read in verse 23, lived up to its name. Mara means bitter water. So the people and came to the spring, and the water was bitter, and the people grumbled against Moses, we read in verse 24, saying, what are we to drink? Well, the answer <clears throat> was fairly simple. Moses cried out to God, and, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and, and, and he threw that wood into the pool, and the water then became sweet. How did that happen scientifically? I don't know. Don't ask. It's an act of God. But that's not really the question. The question is not, how did you do that? The question is, why? And in verse 25, we find a principle here that you might call a decreed law. There he tested them. Now, now pause for just a moment. I want you to linger on that word. In fact, pull it out and write it down, the word test, because we're going to get back to that word later. Tested them. There he tested them, and he said, and notice this, how many times the word if appears. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his life, in, in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. <laughs> now, this passage is a target-rich environment. I've got to tell you that. How does it relate to Egypt and disease? I, I, I mean, one of the plagues in Egypt was the water turning into blood. Was this pool a spillover of that experience? Is that what made it bitter? I don't know. I really don't. But what I do know is this. Here, God makes it perfectly clear. Stay close to me. Do what I say. Learn to depend upon me. Trust me, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. It's a great lesson to start with, isn't it? You can depend upon God. It's a, it's a lesson that is echoed throughout all the Scriptures. 
an invitation, as it were, for us to daily make it happen. And in Psalm 55, verse 22, we hear that echoed. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And it becomes a lesson that God proves right away as we then moved into the second stop that they have in verse 27, the second episode in this drama. It says they came to Elam in verse 27, and what did they find? They found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. That's interesting to play with the numbers there, isn't it? 12 springs. There was at least one for each of the tribes. Uh, 70 palm trees. I have no idea what the 70 would mean. But I do know this. There's a lesson to be found here. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Just like what we read in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, and uphold you with my mighty, righteous right hand. I realize it doesn't take very long for me to realize that there may be some within this sanctuary right now who need to stop right here with the lesson. And, and I don't know what it may be that you're, that you're handling or that, that, is, that is balanced on your shoulders. It may be that you are awaiting test results from the hospital. It, it may be that you're waiting for a call from someone you love you haven't seen for a long time. You may, in fact, find yourself in a moment of great risk. And you need to probably stop right now at your own Elam and then pitch your tent for a while and take a drink from a spring in the desert that was sprung just for you. And there know that God really does care for you. And, and it could be that maybe that's as far as you need to really go this morning. And that, that for you, the, the, the sermon really ends with a simple prayer saying, I've come to cast my cares upon you today, dear Lord. I have been driving pretty hard and I've been running pretty low. And I confess that there's a hunger and a thirst in my soul. I need to know that you will sustain me. You will never let the righteous fall. For some, that may be as far as the lesson will take you this morning. But for the rest, let me take it one step further. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1, we get the indication that that pillar, the pillar of cloud day and the fire at night, must have moved. Because the whole community then takes another step further into the desert, setting off from Elam, and ending up in the desert of Zin, or Sin, if you like. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but... But the fact is that as we see this motion taking place, we realize that a month and a half has gone by and the people finally find themselves in the deep desert away from the springs and at loss for food. And as one writer puts it, he says, their their rumble in Elam became a grumble in Zin. Their hunger had returned and their their faith was stretched thin. and and, and And they began to look back at Egypt, that place of shame, and pain, and, and, and yet when they look back, it was with a surprising degree of fondness, we read. Thinking to themselves, maybe it wasn't that bad after all. At least we had food. It only took six weeks, one and a half months, we read, for them to begin to consider making a trade-in for God. Maybe there's something different out there, they're thinking to themselves. Maybe there's something better out there, they think to themselves. God was good to us at the beginning, but where is he now? Is it possible for us to trade up or even just trade out? 
I find myself fascinated when I come to verse 4 there in 16. By the grace of God, there God does not judge them for complaining. Instead, as the story unfolds, he provides what becomes known as manna, bread from heaven. And in verse 11, he adds to it something to go into their sandwich. He gives quail as the main course for their evening meal. And my guess is that most of you are familiar, at least with that word manna. It's fascinating to read the rest of chapter 16 to see how it arrives as morning dew. Six days a week, with a double portion on the sixth day, so that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, they could eat leftovers while they worshipped. And then to discover how it tasted, in verse 31, it says it tasted like wafers made with honey. I think of that every time I have baklava, which I do love so much. The details are all there in chapter 16. I don't need to read them all out, but one thing stands out This morning is the lesson that is taught in a single word that spelled God's intentions as much as with this bread and with the water. Look at verse 16, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, and here comes that word I told you to mark down, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. I will test them. That's the word that God used in chapter 15 as he provided water to quench their thirst with a promise that he would sustain them. He uses it again here as he comes in chapter 17 as he provides food to satisfy their hunger with the promise that he is committed to doing this as a daily practice for the rest of their lives. And what's really cool about this is that the word he uses applies as much to him as it does to his people. Let me explain. The word we have translated here as test literally means prove, to prove, proof. I just love the picture that is painted by the word. If there are two characters standing on either side of the water and of the manna, you have God and you have man, both of them have something to prove. And for God, it is that he will keep his end of the deal and that he will fulfill his promise. He's got something to prove, and he is up for the task and has, in fact, proven himself to be up to that task for millennial generations and days in your life. The man is proof that he is there and that he cares. And at the end of chapter 16, we read, the Israelites ate manna for 40 days until they came to the land that was settled. And if that wasn't proof enough, it's repeated. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Passing the daily test of daily care for 40 years, that should be proof enough that he is there and that he provides and that he you can trust him. But if, but if God has something to prove on that side of the equation, so do his people on this other side, on our side. And, as, and the manna provides God's people a daily opportunity to make a critical choice in our own lives. 
for every single one of us to commit ourselves to his care and to abandon ourselves to his grace and to do it each day of our lives. And how do you do that? Go back and list the verbs, the actions listed in chapter 15, verse 26. Listen carefully to the voice of God. The voice of the Lord your God. Do what is right in his eyes. Pay attention to his commands. Keep faith with his decrees. That's our responsibility. Let me repeat them again. Listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. Do what is right in his eyes. Pay attention to his commands and keep faith with his decrees. That's our responsibility. I read, I read that and I think, mm, if I were to add one more to fill it up, what would it be? If I, were to, if I were to make that my credo, what would it be? And the answer is simple. Listen carefully, pay attention to his commands, keep faith to his decrees, do what is right, and here's the, what my addition would be. Every day, day by day, each day with a new commitment. With the manna, God's people had a daily chance to commit themselves, to prove their determination, to live in utter reliance and dependence upon God. And in doing it daily, having having it now then define their lives as their chosen and natural lifestyle. I have to think that, that this is precisely what Jesus had in mind for his followers, for you and me, when he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Daily, daily, daily. There's a phrase you often hear that God is more interested about what happens in you than rather what will happen to you. That he is more concerned about our character than our circumstances and is more focused on our relationship with him than our necessary comfort in this life. And while the simple desert lesson here may be that the God who is there is the God who you can really rely on, the real application is, are you willing to live out that reality? Are you willing to live a life that is a living illustration of the grace of God? Are you willing to step up to the test and prove it yourself to be true? Not too long ago, I read the story of Robert Cheeseborough. He was the man who invented Vaseline. How many of you know what Vaseline is? I don't know what I'd do without it. It's a petroleum jelly that is refined from rod wax, an ooze that forms in the shafts of oil rigs. Knowing that, are you going to use it again? I will. He so believed in the healing properties of this product that he discovered that he found ways to test it upon himself daily. (laughs) And thus he became his own guinea pig. Every cut, scratch, burn... A large number of them, by the way, self-inflicted. He covered with Vaseline until he himself, in body, became visible proof that his product worked. And all people had to do was look at his wounds and his scars. Each one of them healed, almost as if it were the balm of Gilead, to see the value of Vaseline. And then think to themselves, I want some of that too. And sales took off. Back to the very beginning. My dear, dear brothers and sisters in Ebenezer, these days are not in betwixt and between. These are your moment. 
Life in the betwixt and between could, in fact, prove to be a very powerful moment for you, each and every one of you, for you as a, fam- as a fellowship at large, to prove that God is here and that He cares and that He is able. It is now your turn, your time, your choice, and your prayer. What will it be? Now, I suggest that we return to our winter preparation along with now this spring preparation and and end this service with, with a prayer that we have learned to pray and were in fact ordered to pray by our Lord himself. You're familiar with it. Let's pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.